Good morning. We're jumping right in. So Luke 15. Everybody go to Luke 15. And I'm going to give you a little bit of context for Luke 15. Is we see this right here. In Luke 15, verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. I want to pause on this real quick because there's something interesting going on. I remember becoming a follower of Jesus, 20 years old, at Virginia Tech, and my perspective started to change. And if you are in this room and you're a follower of Jesus, you know what that means. The way you viewed everything started to change. And I remember one of those changes is as I started to read the Bible, you start in either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and you want to learn about Jesus. Everyone tells you, learn about Jesus and put good people around you, put Christians that want to follow Jesus around you. And I remember this. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And I remember thinking, that's who I need to be. That used to be me. And Jesus met me, the sinner. Amen? Have we all been there? Do we relate? But here's what's weird. As I started to follow Jesus, and then I started this, this path that God had me on, which is a very unique path, the path of being a pastor. I do not recommend it. <laughs> Stick with your job. You have a great job. Stick with it. It's a crazy path. And as I started down that path, I started to realize as I worked at churches, I thought the goal was be like Jesus. Right? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. There were other pastors and other people in the church. I can remember vividly at like 25 years old being out with a group of sinners. Like they didn't go to church. These were my friends. This was my brother. Like they weren't following Jesus, but I wanted to be Jesus to them. I remember someone at the church that knew I was a pastor. These guys don't talk like them. They don't look like them. They act different. They don't have the perspective that I had and they had. And I remember someone coming up to my table for dinner and saying, Simon, like tap me on the shoulder and I'm with this rowdy group of guys. Taps me on the shoulder and whispers, I know who you are, I know you're a pastor, and I'm offended by this, and left. That seems ridiculous, but can't we do that? Can't we be just as judgmental? Jesus is about to hit on this. It is about the lost becoming followers of Jesus. And is there any... Is there any boundary or rule that we're going to put in the way of that? Jesus says it's all about welcoming sinners and eating with them. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And here's where he goes, the next parable. What is it? The parable of the lost sheep. The very short version of this is Jesus says if you have 100 sheep and one is lost, so there's 99 over here that are found, and they're sitting there, and there's one that's lost. 
Aren't you going to drop everything to go get that one lost sheep? Jesus also says, the parable of the lost coin is next in Luke 15. A woman has 10 coins. She loses one. That was a valuable, that was valuable income, valuable money. Isn't she going to stop everything to go find that one coin? And I'm going to add a third parable that's not in there. The third parable would be my wife and I, the parable of Simon and Adrian. Y'all ready for that one? <laughs> the parable of Simon and Adrian. We, uh, we have, Adrian is pregnant with our second child. We're in Charlotte, North Carolina. We are so excited to go on a date. We had a date night. When you have young kids, date nights are very exciting. Sometimes we go to Walmart. It's awesome. We actually were going to a movie. We were like really excited. So we're going to a movie and we get to the movie and my wife turns to me and we're, we've, we had about five minutes till the movie started. We go to park and my wife turns to me and just says, uh, Simon, I can't find my ring. Engagement ring, a diamond ring. There was a lot of blood, sweat and tears to get that diamond for my wife. Pretty important. And she goes, I can't find it. And then you start doing everything. You start doing the, where's the last time you had it? All that stuff. We were tracking down where it could have been. And she goes, I know for a fact that I had it on. And now it's gone. So we're sitting there. It's got to be in the car or maybe it fell out of the car. We spent 30 minutes looking for this ring. Do you think we cared about the movie at this point? We dropped everything we were doing to find that ring. And you know where it was? In the worst place that you guys all know. It's called the abyss. It's that dark space in between the seats. <laughs> On the show Shark Tank, they actually have come up with an invention to put over that so it never happens again. I wish I had known about that. Ah, oh, it was ridiculous. But we didn't, we, it was kind of a letdown. I mean, we didn't get to watch the movie, but we dropped everything to go to find that ring. Today, here's where we're at. We are going to focus on the actual third story, since the one I just said is not a real parable in the Bible. We're going to do what I am calling Lost Boys. The way you've heard of this story is the prodigal son. I mean, the Good Samaritan and the prodigal son are probably two of the most popular stories in all of the Bible. We're going to talk about the prodigal son. Did you know that it's not just about the one son? We're going to talk about two sons, two lost boys. Did you know that the word prodigal actually means extravagant? Prodigal means extravagant. So you can be the prodigal son who extravagantly wastes his life. And then you have the prodigal God who extravagantly loves both of the boys in this story, the younger and the older. You want to go with me there? The extravagant love of Jesus and the extravagant missing the point of these two boys. Let's look at both stories. We have a story of two sons and their dad. Jesus continues... There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, 
Give me my share of the, the estate. So he divided his property between them. I like to take timeouts. So I'm going to do another timeout right now. Do you know what this means in that culture? To go to your father and say, I want my share of the estate. Let's look at it. To ask one's father for one's share of the inheritance early was unheard of in antiquity. In effect, one would thereby say, Father, I wish you were already dead. Such a statement would not go over well even today. And in a society stressing obedience to one's father, it would be a serious act of rebellion. That's what we're talking about right now. The father saw it, the youngest son saying that, I want my inheritance as if you want me to be dead now. That's how the father would take that. What, what is the reaction? What, what do we see as responses? And I want you to look at that. I want you to look at what's the younger son's response as he goes down this story. What is the father's response? And then what's the older son's response? Let's humanize this for right now in 2020 because it's that kind of story. Like it should be personal to us. So here's what happens. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. He began to be in need, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. Can you remember? This is how we personalize it. Can you remember that moment when you realized that you were in the pigsty and what you thought was a grass is greener situation was not? When you pursued everything you wanted and thought God's plan is not better and you came to your senses. Think about that. Right now, just what's your story? That story of what I thought was better was not. What I pursued was not better. And you came to your senses. Can everybody just pause? And in your head, I want you just to praise God. Let's just take a second. God, thank you for bringing us to our senses. 
we are forever grateful and we are forever changed. Amen. Repentance restores relationship. Repentance restores relationship. What does the father do? How does he react to seeing his son coming back after he came to his senses? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Can you imagine the scene? The father who's just been waiting day after day, night after night for the prodigal son to come back. He knows his son's wasting his life. But also, what did his son say? With that action of leaving, he said, I wish you were dead, father. Do you expect the father to react like this? My son said he wished I was dead. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Repentance restores relationship. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. His response to his son who said, I wish you were dead. Is that not grace? Is that not grace? No. The answer is yes. <laughs> but you tricked me on that one. That was good. I'm going to ask a better question next time. I got you. So in all of this, all we can see is a picture of incredible grace. Now, Let's flip, the sw- let's flip the story a little bit. We've got the, the son who came to his senses. We have the, the father who has shown extreme, extravagant grace. What about the older son? How is the older son going to respond to this situation? Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when his son, this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. 
he makes a valid point, right? Doesn't he? He makes a valid point from his perspective, the older son's perspective, how can you throw a party for this son, my younger brother, your son who said, I wish you were dead and left. He was hanging out with prostitutes. He wasted all your money. Why are you throwing him a party? It's a valid point. I think it's easy to go there in our heads. We'll get to that. The father's reaction. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This right here, this, this comparison of the two brothers just makes sense to me. And so I want you guys to look at this. We have a lost younger brother who is very rebellious. We have a lost older brother who is dutifully religious. The lost younger brother lost, get this, lost while far from home. The older brother, the religious brother, lost while still at home. They thought, both of them thought, home was a place. They thought home was the proximity. Leaving and staying, they thought home was a place that they could go to. Who's the father? Who is our father? Who is Jesus? To the rebellious, the father searched, feels compassion, runs, embraces, kisses, interrupts, restores, celebrates. To the older son, the religious son, the father, feels compassion. He seeks, he approaches, he pleads, he listens, he corrects, he affirms, he celebrates. The moral of this story, the lost become found when we see that home is a person, and that's Jesus. Amen. If you're in this room right now and you're the rebellious son that's still running and you think the grass is greener somewhere else and you think God's plan isn't enough and it's not best, you're out there exploring, come home. Home is a person and that's Jesus. If you're the religious and your life is all about performance, it's about what I do or what I don't do, that's where my identity is found. You will look at everyone around you and you will judge them. The extravagant love of the Father searches For you that are living your life performance-based and religious and you're still lost, the love of the Father is equally seeking 
those that are rebellious and running. So whether you're away from home or you're still in close proximity to home, the lost become found when we see that home is a person. Both sons, if you're one of those, whoever you are, just come home. And if you're a parent who's in this room right now or a grandparent, a parent or a grandparent that's here, and you know that your rebellious son or daughter is out there and you know they're wasting their life away, will you please trust Jesus? And I know that's hard. Do you believe that Jesus is the only way that a lost, rebellious son or a religious, performance-based son or daughter can be found? Do you actually believe it? What would it be like to pray that way? To seek the lost, but pray trusting God. Only Jesus can change a heart. Trust him. It's hard. Trust him. Aaron Koff is in this room. I actually just made eye contact with him. Aaron, can you just raise your hand, please, because that's him right there. You're about to see him on a video right now. And I really want to throw this out, and the reason I got him to raise his hand because he didn't want me to do that is because if this video of him as the rebellious son, the prodigal son running from God, if this does something, it moves you, inspires you, that's what he looks like. He's in our Rogers community. I love this guy, and his story can help you find him. That's what community is about. Go find him. Talk to him. How did his perspective change? Let's learn about Aaron Kopf. And let's learn even more about the father that we're talking about. Jesus Christ is the home that we need. Well, like, like the, the prodigal son, I also received an inheritance growing up. My inheritance was my faith and my family. I was definitely the inheritance that my parents gave me. And I um, was really active in youth group. And um, once I got to college, I began majoring in communication and drama with the intent of going into ministry one day. My wife and I moved to Ireland. Uh, after we got married for a year, and while we were there, I stopped going to church. And it was the first time in my life that I really wasn't with a, uh, a faith community. And what I really wanted to do was answer the question, can you live life without God and still be happy? Because my parents had told me that you can't, and that anyone who's without God, anyone without a faith is just gonna be miserable, and that they're wicked people and that they're evil. And all these people I had met in Ireland were these wonderful, kind people that didn't have a relationship with God at all. And it made me wonder if maybe my parents were wrong. And so I stopped seeing my family. Uh, I stopped going to family events. I stopped hanging out with my old friends. Uh, I stopped going to church. I stopped praying. I stopped doing my quiet time. Um, I went from, you know, a youth pastor on the way to you know, full-time ministry to being a full-blown like, nihilist, atheist within a couple of years and just completely threw my faith away and ended up getting into some really bad habits. 
I began smoking, began drinking, began doing some drugs, got into some unhealthy relationships, almost ruined my marriage. We had to basically totally start over. And my wife was the one who made that decision to stick together. I realized that this, this search that I had done to try to find out if you can live life without God had completely failed. I wasn't as happy as I thought I would be. I thought that all of these things that I was getting into, all of these vices, that they would feel freeing because I'd said no to them for so long and I thought that finally saying yes would feel like I was being free. But what I realized was that that was actually the opposite of what happened. Instead of those things freeing me, they actually enslaved me. And so like the story, I was living in the city in a, in a pigsty. I was miserable and I realized that I had thrown away everything good that my parents had given to me. Um, all for some foolish desire to see what life was like on the other side. I, I began reading scripture again. I read Ecclesiastes because it seemed kind of safe. It wasn't super churchy. It talks about there's a time to live and a time to die and a time to laugh and a time for tears. And it's just, it seemed like a really real book. And there was a fear that I had that when I went back home, that when I began talking to God again, that he was going to be angry and judgmental and that he was going to make me feel like trash and make me feel guilty for doing what I had done for all those years and for squandering this inheritance that I had, I had received. But just like in the story, God was waiting at the fence, you know, looking for me to come home. He embraced me back into the family, you know. Um, I realized that he had been with me the whole time. He had never left, and um, he was just waiting for me to come back. Amen. How do you even get going after that? Isn't that our story? It's all about the Father and his extravagant love for us. And here's the issue, and I just, I feel like we talk about the prodigal son so much that we miss out on the religious older son. And I don't want to miss that because Jesus loves the younger son and the older son 100% equally, and both are lost equally. And I just want to read this definition because I just think it, it hits the point. Legalism and the religious duty, the older son, looks like this. It makes mankind the point and therefore chains us to a never-ending spiritual performance. It breaks the unity and love we have for each other. Haven't you seen that? When you live in that perspective, we're lost. And we judge everyone around us. And it causes disunity. I have experienced it. I have been the judger. I have been judgmental. And I've also been the one that is judged and it hurts. And it makes people not want to be around church. Grace. Grace 
comes from this verse right here. It hits on the older son, it hits on the younger son, and it hits on our perspective for this morning that is so important. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. If you're living as the older brother, remember this. You did nothing to get your salvation. Am I right? You did nothing. You did nothing special to get your salvation. It is a gift from Jesus Christ. Don't be, don't be chained to the sin of performance. It's all about grace. Have freedom. Know that truth. You did nothing, Jesus did everything. What is grace? Makes Jesus the point. Therefore frees us to be formed by his life in us and brings unity and love for one another. How do we end this? As we get back to the very simple truth. Lost sons and daughters, whether it's you sitting in this room or whether it's someone that you really, really care about, lost sons and daughters come home only through the grace of the Father. Amen? If you're in this room, and you're lost. Come home. And you know what else? That's for you and for me. But you know what else? We've got to be like Jesus and be out there seeking for the lost. And I'll say both. The religious older son and the rebellious running away son. Let's seek both of them and show them this. Seek out, like Jesus didn't stop. He did not stop searching for what is lost. Why would we not? He didn't stop with me. He sought after me and he gave me a huge embrace and said, Simon, now that you're coming to your senses, you've repented, our relationship is restored, let's go. Now you go seek and save the lost. That's the story. The lost become found when we see that home is a person. Every single person you will interact with this week has value. Do you know why they have value? Because God created them to have value. And there is, nothing, there is no relationship or person that should be looked at as too messy or off limits. Jesus saw everyone as having value. So the extravagant love of the Father that has, that has changed us, we will go out today, we will seek to show the grace that he showed us to the religious older son, and we'll show the grace to the rebellious younger son. Y'all with me? Every person has value. Church, let's love well. Man, how well have we been loved Here's how we're going to end this service. There's no better way to end this service is to recognize that this is true. We're going to take communion. Jesus died on the cross 
It was all his work. For as by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your works. It is a gift from God. We are going to receive this gift and remember the extravagant love of Jesus.